Hello, friends. Welcome to the Adventures in Wellbeing podcast. My name is Damien Japaro. I'm the co-founder of Aroha Wellness Retreats here in the South Island of New Zealand. And this is a place where we refine and define the art of living exceptionally well. We'll be interviewing sought-after minds in movement, consciousness, nutrition, impact, and any topic that allows our human family to thrive. We don't like chatting about the mundane, so if you enjoy deeper conversations and you're willing to tiptoe at the edge of comfort, you've found the right place to hang out. Let's do this. Do you live in the town where you grew up? I don't. And I've noticed that it seems like quite a few of us have had the chance to move once or twice in our lives, perhaps in our childhood. I see it as a bit of a a blessing and a curse. It's certainly challenging in the moment to be uprooted from friends and loved ones and to be plopped down into a new environment. It also constitutes adventure and requires a certain skill set to navigate The last move I made was to New Zealand, far away from those that I have known most of my life and love. And has it been difficult? Absolutely. But moving really does have an upside, which is that I've been required to make new friends, to open up. And I see this skill each week at Araha. A group of complete strangers show up And at the end of the week, we often marvel at how much we like each other. (laughs) And I think about it quite a bit because it's really quite miraculous. It's not a superficial sort of appreciation for one another, but a genuine connection. And I know that a lot of lasting friendships come from these retreat spaces. So is it luck? Does Adarha just attract amazing humans? I think so, actually. I mean, I actually think Adarha does seem to attract a type of person that's interested in self-improvement in the way that I think really matters most, which is from the inside out. And yet, I believe that in our highest selves, we're all lovable. We are all kind. We're all a little fearful, and we all struggle sometimes. I really believe that we are all doing the absolute best with the tools that we've got. And I'm proven that over and over again. And I've learned to see that even when somebody's being angry or snotty or snide or just having a terrible day, that they really are in their best possible way trying to get through the day just trying to make people understand, just trying to, you know, shake some sense into the people around them that have clearly gone so awry. And if you've ever been in that place yourself, if you've ever experienced anger or, you know, some of these lower energetic forms, you know that you were doing the best that you could. You know that you were actually trying to make things better. So all we really need to do is the work to wipe the muck from our eyes so that we can see the efforts of each other and to get along, feel safe, feel loved. And here's the thing, even if all you wanna do is live a long life, the secret is in how we connect. So we can take a bit of advice from the longest running study on happiness and longevity. It's come out of Stanford University. It's been running for over 80 years. And the study began in 1938 with 724 men of all walks of life. Approximately 60 of those men are still alive. They're in their 90s. 
this particular study came to two powerful conclusions, and I think these are really worth our attention. The first one is to know when to let go, or you could say to practice letting go. As we live our lives, we tend to have experiences, some of them enjoyable, some of them not so enjoyable. We sometimes build up regrets. We have memories that make us cringe. And the practice of letting go is a powerful one. Letting go of the things that we wish we would have done or should have done. Um, letting go of the little things through our day. Much of our stress, if we pay attention to it, is an accumulated sort of practice. Um, we have had some stressful events in our lives, and then we begin to see through the lens of stress that the days are stressful, that we need to be at odds with our day. So you can begin just by noticing a couple of things today. Maybe there's some things that were stressful about this day that have the potential to be let go of. Now, the second practice is equally powerful, if not more, and this particular study suggested that connection is the number one thing that promotes a long, happy, and healthy life. The sort of connection that they're talking about are the sorts of connections that we have with our loved ones, with our spouses, and with our friends. And you only need one or two of these high-quality connections to dramatically improve your life. So what keeps us from connecting what makes us feel annoyed, frustrated, angry with those around us? And can we wipe the muck from our eyes and see their good hearts a little more clearly? Can we find within ourselves the places where we create resistance, annoyances, frustrations, and barriers to love? Can we remove that little resistance that we sometimes have to reaching out to making a phone call, to inviting somebody to dinner, to meeting somebody new, or to just going home to visit the people we love. So in the vein of connection, I'd like to introduce you to one of my new friends. Dustin Brown and I met about six years ago here at Adarha. He is a yoga teacher. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu roller. He is co-founder of Warrior One Yoga Studios in Melbourne. And he can also help you close your rings as an Apple Fit Plus instructor. So if you're interested in cultivating a mindset of success, maybe interested in finally mastering that handstand, or of just being a gentle light in your community, you're going to love this episode. Let's tune in to the delightful Dustin Brown. All right. Dustin Brown, welcome to Sauna Sessions. It's awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure, man. Yeah. Um, tell me a little something about your um, entry into yoga. In particular, do you have any memories of what you thought about yoga before you were yogi? Mm. Well, I'll start with the second question. I used to, I grew up in Kauai, Hawaii, and so... I've seen, I've saw yoga asana being practiced and had an idea that yoga was done by hippies and kind of more natural folk that were squatting at the beaches and things like that. That's usually who I saw doing yoga. So I always associate it with kind of 
alternative practices that I was kind of not so aligned with. Mm-hmm. I thought it was either that or for, you know, cute girls and nice pants. And yeah, that, that was pretty much my impression. And then my entry into yoga all started because Nova forced me to go to a hot yoga class. And I had an amazing experience. I had so much tension in my body from jujitsu and training that the hot yoga just melted so much of that tension away that I immediately decided I was going back just because of the way that I felt after that one class. And she had done a 30 day challenge before that. I was just raving about how she was going to do it again. I was like, well, if you can do that, I'm going to do 30 days. That sounds great. And literally I set my own challenge and just started going every single day. Wow. And so how I, old were you? Uh, 20, about 28. Yeah. About 28. About 10 years ago now. And never looked back. Started going every single day. And just, for me, it was just, this is helping me do what I want to do, surf and jujitsu better. Mm-hmm. This is making me better at these things I really am passionate about. And I was trying to find something that would help me do that. And I thought functional training and having a trainer would do that. And for me and my body and what I, my needs were the slowing down of yoga and the breathing practices. That's really what I actually needed. And it started to create huge shifts. Yeah. So at first, did you notice that it was changing your surfing and jujitsu or? Yeah, I just noticed I would wake up from training so much is when I was like um, training competitively for competitions, I would wake up so sore and broken, like hands curled up like little claws and rounded spine and just really achy. And that was every day. And I found that going to the hot room yoga class, I'd go 30 minutes early just to spend more time in there. And winter in Melbourne was really cold. And being from the tropics, that was just like a haven. And so it started to melt away tension, started to, I started noticing right away that the way um, I was breathing during sparring and fighting was often how I'd be breathing when I'm holding a strong yoga pose. I would have that same kind of struggle. And in yoga, I learned to take deeper, slower, more intentional ujjayi breath. Mm. And I started applying that nose breathing to my jujitsu practice. And suddenly I had clarity in these times where I, I didn't know what to do. And suddenly the answers that weren't there because I didn't have oxygen in my brain were because I was oxygenated. Wow. And so I started just noticing these, these somewhat simple aspects like breathing properly and being more aware. But that awareness that I built and that foc- focus awareness and breath practice that I started to cultivate in the yoga practice really translated right away. Isn't that super interesting? I've noticed um, similarly, you can actually bring, you know, they talk about taking your yoga off the mat and sure enough, man, you, you know, you can bring it into relationships. You can bring it into your work. You know, if you can become aware of breath as you write an email, it's a completely different state to be writing an email in. Mm. And yeah. And it's so beautiful that there's just so many layers to that. Yeah. Just being more mindful. Yeah. If you're breathing short and shallow while you're writing that email and you're conscious of that, you're like, oh, I'm probably in a fight or flight state. Why am I, why am I re- reacting like this? So yeah, it just creates such amazing awareness. And so then somewhere along the line, yoga started to take a bit more of a hold. You obviously still surf and you still are quite active in jujitsu, but do you teach jujitsu? You- I not anymore. So I was teaching jujitsu every night. Like um, there's a, when I got my black belt, a club needed a coach and I stepped in and became the head jujitsu coach of this place, Westside MMA. 
And so five nights a week, I would go and teach. And this is before we opened Warrior One in Brighton. And then we opened the studio and suddenly I was splitting my time between teaching jujitsu and then teaching yoga in a more full-time role. And I was teaching yoga before, but it was kind of like a few classes at a couple different studios around the city. And so when that shift happened and we start, I started teaching a lot more, it got to a point where our business started doing well and Nova's like, I need help. You can't be putting all half your time there and half our time here. You really need to shift your focus to our brand and what we're doing. It's really important. And as soon as I did that, which was an extremely hard thing to do to leave coaching jujitsu, our business just took off and I focused more on the yoga practice. So that's really when it, when there was a bigger shift, I was still, I used to have my daily practice up into that point and nothing changed there. But when I started teaching a lot more and just embodying that role where I was less a split between two worlds and more focused fully in one, that's when it really, I felt really took off. Mm. Yeah. Tell me, um, kind of going back just a little bit again, what's your earliest spiritual experience of any sort? And then maybe bring us through from any kind of early memories of what that word even means through to what it means today. So my parents born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. And so religion and spirituality were ingrained since day one. And I, I was always taught that God is watching and that you need to pray and ask, you know, for forgiveness and to just to be a good person because when you do these things, it's going to lead you to this end result of as essentially a beautiful, everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first, I guess, experience with that through my parents and, you know, going to church. <laughs> five times a week and going door to door and being fully in that until, you know, early teens that really, I think it started as something that I fully believed in. And as I grew up, I just questioned if that's how I wanted to live my life. And there was a point where I started going the other way and was kind of cut off by my parents because if that's the way the religion is, if you're not fully in it, then you're out and you're kind of not associated with and, that's that's just the way it is. And so there's a long period of my life where I said, I'm not spiritual. Spirituality, I correlated with religion and really kind of had put up a wall when I would people talk, try and talk to me about God and things like this. Mm-hmm. And the more and more that I learn and practice, I start to realize that I'm a very spiritual person and I am, you know, very connected to something deeper and larger than myself. And I don't find that by going to a church mm-hmm. or associating with traditional religion. It doesn't do the same thing for me. So spirituality to me nowadays means that I'm in touch with my heart and I'm in touch with the world around me and I'm mm-hmm. living from that place. Mm-hmm. I think this is your sixth visit um, to Araha and saying earlier today that you that you enjoy just pausing and it seems to be because i think i saw one of these moments where where you physically pause we were hiking you know we were walking and it was a physical pause and it was a kind of it looked like a dropping in Mm. to the moment um is that something that happens in in regular life or tell us tell us about that practice yeah like 
especially when I'm here in nature and it's just so absolutely stunning. I do really like to stop and just listen and take a deep breath and get out of my head and just mm -hmm. be. And like, you know, as I was saying, like there's so many layers here. It's like buzzing bees and bird song and the lambs and so many other just interesting noises, the trickle of the waterfall and this and that. And at home, I do take those same moments, but they're so different in the city, I feel. Here, it's almost like those things, just I appreciate them so much. It's a really interesting feeling. I do do it at home. And I really notice I'll have a moment with Ninja in the park and the sun's just filtering through the leaves and I stop. I stop myself to be conscious and like almost take like a mental snapshot. I'm like, remember this moment, it's special. Hmm. You can have those moments with dogs too, can't you? I'll like I've time. had him with Beckett where I, he and I just have these really deep, it's almost because we can't talk really in words that the mind gets quiet and I can just look him in the eyes and he looks me in the eyes and we have these like incredible like they know moments of presence. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, tell me this for, for someone, maybe, maybe particularly because I think you're, you're quite unique in that you're a guy and you're a martial artist, you know, and there's, there's quite a strong kind of masculine background for you as a surfer and, you know, martial artist. Um, for those that are listening that might be skeptical of yoga or just getting into it, what would you recommend? How would you recommend they start? Or were there, was there, were there, were there any pitfalls that you went through as you were kind of opening to the practice that you, you could kind of. I definitely resonated with some teachers more than others. Yeah. And some, they were so different than me that I didn't have compassion to where they were coming from. So I didn't really enjoy what they were offering. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important when you're starting to find someone or a teacher that you resonate with. Mm -hmm. Because nowadays, there are literally every type of person is teaching yoga, mm. in, in my opinion. And, if, and you're, if you look out there, there's a teacher for you. And so be patient and do a little bit of research or get a recommendation from someone that you trust and know and go to a teacher that is going to lift you up and really support you on that journey. Because as soon as you find that person or that place that feels like home or studio that feels right, it's just the start of something amazing. Mm. Cool. Um, yeah, it's just the vehicle to live your, to optimize the human experience. Mm, totally. Yeah. yeah, such a neat practice. For those of you who haven't um, checked Dustin out online, it's, it's definitely worth a look. For for those that um, are are interested in elevating their practice and, and kind of advancing to some of the levels that you've um, clearly reached, any any suggestions on that? Yeah, just consistency, really, practice, mm. daily practice. And that's really what it is. I think about creating these little little rituals or little habits that you do on the daily that don't start off as these huge things, but when you do that little piece over and over, you build on it. Mm -hmm. You add another piece and another piece. And then eventually it turns into this complex, beautiful masterpiece. But it's so important when you see something or or someone with a practice that you remember that they had to work to get there. And I used to have this mindset that I would go to workshops and ask different teachers and be on the search because there had to be some trick that would, would get me there faster. And more and more, I just come to, I have come to appreciate that there is no secret. There is no trick. It's just consistency and practice. Mm. 
Get on your mat, do it as much as you can, and you will blow your own mind. Yeah. Yeah. What what kind of split do you notice in yourself between lead practices, excluding your teaching, like when you're practicing for you, say lead lead practices or working with somebody versus your own personal practice? What's it like for you in a typical week? So I try and get to in studio and practice with other teachers. I find it it's always inspiring, and they will always take you in places that I won't. And in, I might, it might be, there's always some similar movements, but I love that, especially where I practice. Um, usually it's at my studio with one of our teachers, but they're so creative and they have such a passion in, me, in creating sequences that have intention and purpose. So I'm always inspired to practice with teachers and see what they've come up or what themes they bring. Mm. And some just are, some are bhakti yogis and they bring kirtan and, they bring such beautiful elements that I don't have. So I love to practice with other teachers that are different than me and just experience that. And in my own practice at home, often it's a, a bit slower than in a studio class because I don't have to keep it to an hour. And it's a bit more free form. But I always do something for myself every day. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, as far as the, I also try and add like a meditation after my practice. So I always have my morning meditation. And if I can, I'll do a practice. And then sometime in the afternoon, I'll make sure to have my second meditation. If I've done my physical practice, there's such a noticeable difference between that afternoon meditation and the first meditation in the morning. Mm. And is it uh, just a seated, self-guided meditation or do you follow any particular lineage or practice? So I practice Vedic meditation. Mm -hmm. I have a mantra and yeah, it's seated. Mm -hmm. That's it it for 20 twice daily yeah yeah all it takes hey that's radically different when you do it yeah Yeah. what about um i imagine with the amount of physical you know movement that you do and all the ways that you use your body um that injury would have come up how how do you notice injury has played a role or are there any insights you would share with people who are you know moving down a similar path yoga fixed me from being in a constant state of pain and having serious imbalances and then going the other way. And I, 10 years on, I feel more embodied, more connected, more aware and stronger physically, more flexible, more mobile than I've ever been in my entire life. And that's an awesome feeling to have with injuries from training. And I have gotten injuries in the past from yoga mm-hmm. and it's from not doing what my teacher said properly with bad alignment and repetitive strain. And so having, having that knowledge now, um, and even with my teaching, you might notice like the classes I teach, I always off, offer different vin- styles of vinyasa. There's always like different options and different ways. So I might teach one sequence one week and we'll do a vinyasa in a specific way. And then next week the pattern will change just so that the people that are practicing with me multiple times a week, that that doesn't start to happen. I've noticed that variance in my own practice has really created awesome shifts. So it's shifted me out of pain. And I use my practice to really heal and recover. Jiu-Jitsu can be kind of unpredictable. And sometimes like the worst injury I've gotten lately 
was I was in sparring with another black belt, so very aware, very conscious, and someone fell on top of us. Hmm. And that caused him to fall on my wrist and bent my wrist back to where I'm almost dislocated. And thank God for handstands and yoga, my wrists were really strong and mobile and it didn't break. And I didn't actually have more than much elbow swelling, wrist swelling, I was okay. But sometimes it's totally out of your hands. Like you can't even control it. So I'm so thankful that I do have practices that are restored, like yoga and the different aspects of it that help me heal. About a year ago, you were here and I had, um, I was recovering from a broken collarbone mm-hmm. and um, you, you shared with me a ring sequence um, that was surprisingly effective at taking the pain out of my shoulder. Um, I know you do a little bit with rings and, and how has, when, when did that start and how did, how do you feel like that plays into things? And do you recommend it to yogis as kind of a, it certainly worked for me. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you see that? So I started about two years ago and it's shifted everything in my upper body. Like I don't train for aesthetics, but people comment that there's a, sh- they can notice bleach that I'm bigger and there's a shift, a positive shift. But I notice um, the rings really are one of the best upper body body weight tools you can have to create balanced strength. And so when I started uh, practicing on the rings, I went to a coach to make sure that I was doing things right because I was worried that I could hurt myself. And I had some shoulder pain from yoga. I had like a, in the bicipital groove kind of inflammation and a little bit of um, RSI in my wrist. And the rings have balanced everything out. We did some testing when I went and saw this coach and he's like, you are amazingly strong in some areas and you're weaker than my grandma in some other ones. <laughs> I was like, what? what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? And he's like, let's be honest. You should have way more strength here. That's not right. And so he is a genius and has me doing all kinds of variations on the rings to build the power that is functional in all range of motion. So that has created the hugest shift in my physical practice, things that skills and transitions and asanas even that I've wanted to do for years that were inaccessible have started to present themselves through practice. And I think every yogi should really do some sort of hanging or pulling practice to balance out all the pushing yeah. that we do. Because that's the yoga is quite complete if there's no pulling. There's no pulling. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed and that. Bi- bicep strength and pulling is something that yoga can can lack. So there are little ways that we can work on it. But if we're quite honest, it's not a hundred percent of complete practice. There just needs to be a couple elements, and if we add those in, maybe we just add them in on their own to com- make our practice complete. It'll create huge shifts. It makes a lot of sense. Like as as mm-hmm. you know, hairless apes who probably <laughs> have an ancestry of hanging from trees. You yeah. know, it would seem we should be spending a fair amount of time hanging. There's a book called The Hanging Solution. Yeah, and it's from a physio who's done research on this, and he prescribes. Five minutes of hanging a day will fix just about anyone's shoulders. And he's saved so many people from all kinds of surgery and things like that. So it's hanging without not pull-ups or anything. So just just So of course you need to build up for most people need to build their way up there. So you start hanging on a bar with your feet on, on the floor and the knees bent to support your weight and you use your legs as much as you need. And you work up to be able to hang without your toes on the floor, Hmm. start building up on that and doing static and active hangs. And it just keeps progressing. It's like stress can get a bad rap in our modern society, but positive stress is so important in our lives. It 
it's a catalyst for growth. And so that's one of the prime examples. If we just do these little things, you will blow your mind how quickly your body adapts and it just starts to shift in a positive way. Cool. What about, um, do you have any thoughts or, or are there practices in nutrition? What, what, what are your thoughts around food and how does well, my any diet hacks you want to share with people? <laughs> yeah. My diet is interesting. Um, I'm on seafood diet. If I see it, I, no. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah <only jokes. laughs> uh, I try and eat quite healthy. I do intermittent fasting. So it really works well with my schedule. And I found that with my constitution, it's just, I've noticed it helps me stay lean mm-hmm. and I seem to have no problem keeping muscle mass on it and I don't put on weight. So I fast from 8 p.m. till 2 p.m. daily and I'll have a bulletproof coffee in the morning. So mm-hmm. high fat coffee, but that's pretty much it. I do love a dirty chai though. So I kind of cheat tiny bit. Yeah, those are good. Yeah. But other than that, that's pretty much the diet I follow. I try and eat clean, mostly plant-based, but I do partake in meat. Yeah, but I try and follow that. I mean, with the with Bulletproof, I mean, he's kind of keto in his leanings. Yeah, I would say it leans towards leans that. Leans that direction. And then so usually I'll break fast with some sort of super smoothie just because of what I'm doing. I want to go train and I don't want to be too full. And then I'll have a very hearty, huge, lots of veggies in my dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And cheat days? Cheat days, uh, we go big. Can it be anything? <laughs> yeah, totally. Anything. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of the same, actually. A gas station or a burger here and there. Good stuff. What have been your learnings? So you guys are are in the process of opening your third studio in Melbourne, Warrior One Studio. Any learnings for those that are in that world of maybe even just starting business? Any kind of Mm. entrepreneurial thoughts for those that are getting into that? Go for it. Go for it? Yeah, pretty much. Take the leap and go for it because you never know. Yeah. And... If it's something you're truly passionate about, you lead from your heart and make smart decisions, of course, but lead from that place of abundance and let that be your filter, love and abundance. Mm. Especially if you're moving into like the wellness and the yoga industry. I really want that to be the filter in in my business, in my life. That's really where we try and come from. And that I don't think that'll lead you astray. It'll only lead you the right direction if you lead from that. And and with teacher trainings, I know you've done, uh, I think, three teacher trainings now. What would you say if you were to, to kind of um, put some words around your philosophy? I, I've, you know, I've never run a teacher training. You know, I've taken teacher trainings, of course. I've been a student. Um, but I but I sometimes think about like, wow, what would I put into a teacher training? Like, what would be the framework of that? Mm. How would you describe the teacher trainings at Warrior One? I would describe them as an amazing life-changing experience for everyone involved myself included Mm. i've learned so much from trainees but the philosophy really is stems around the eight limbs of yoga and the uh just following those eight limbs and how that in my opinion we have the ability to practice that every time we step on the mat and every day in our lives and so the yamas and niyamas are just guidelines to live happy awesome life and if you practice use your breath go inwards and create this intense state of concentration it'll lead you to these beautiful places where you can achieve a state of meditation and then through enough time bliss and i'm sure we've all experienced that when we've gotten our amount enough so that's really what i want it to be and a lot just come thinking that 
I'm here to, I have to be a strong practitioner. This is all about the asana. And it's so beautiful to, to help people have that understanding. And as we move through the chakra chain and we talk about yamas and niyamas, some of the shifts I've witnessed have been just absolutely wow. Mm-hmm. Emotional shifts, life shifts, and people just, you start, watch them start to be vibrant and shine and become better versions of themselves. Literally over six months, you just watch these amazing shifts just keep happening. It's so cool. Mm. Yeah. And um, I know you've done some work with uh, Boys of Yoga. And so I get, you know, I know that, you know, bringing men into the practice is definitely something that you're, you're interested in a particular way. But if, if you were to fast forward, say 10 years, I mean, I get the sense that we're just getting started with Dustin Brown these days. Um, what, what do you envision or what do you wish for your work? I'd love to be able to reach more people mm-hmm. and help just change that misconception that I had that oh, yoga is weird. I don't know. And the, and I had this resistance and I had these opinions and the more that I dropped those preferences and those opinions and I realized what was there, it's just allowed me to be a better human, a better version of myself and just lead a happy, more joyful life. And so my wish is to be able to share that with not just men, but everyone who wants to listen, just that yoga is not for people that are just strong or people, no labels. It's for humans. Live your best human experience. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to call it, label it anything, but it's just a practice of going inwards, of noticing, of coming back, coming back home to yourself. Mm. Mm. Amazing, brother. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, man. Thank you for sharing your teachings here and for being just awesome soul that you are. I'm looking forward to the future. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. No worries. All right, family, you can get more of Dustin. You can train with him. You can learn from him. um, And you can check him out both on Instagram and Facebook at dbrownyoga. Of course, Apple has also chosen Dustin to be their Apple Fitness Plus instructor for yoga. So if you're in the Apple ecosphere, check out Apple Fitness Plus and Dustin Brown there. Thanks so much for listening. Please do hit subscribe on whatever platform you're on to get notifications of future episodes. And if you'd like show notes or more details or links to all of the things we've talked about today, make sure you get over to our homepage at the Adventures in Wellbeing podcast, aroha-ha.com forward slash podcast. Aroha nui, everyone. Thank you so much for joining today. Lots of love. Be well.